this is Plot Twist Please, don't forget to like, subscribe, and follow the social media accounts. Hi, I'm Shania. It's like papaya, except it's not. Today is going to be fascinating because I'm going to talk about women's reproductive health, the whistleblower with ICE. I'm going to talk about, in general, why it is that the FPOC have a hard time trusting the American medical system and medical professionals. So, I'm only going to talk about ICE for about two minutes uh, because it's not generally the niche of my platform, but I do think it's important in terms of wellness in general, and I do think that it brings up some very important connecting dots that we're going to address as we talk about the medical field in general and therapy and things of that nature. So first, if you haven't been in tune with the news or if you haven't scrolled across the screen, which I'm sure you have because what else are you doing right now, then you probably haven't heard about the whistleblower incident concerning the ICE facilities. So if you weren't aware, I'll just give you a I'll just give you a brief synopsis of what's been happening. Someone who works within one of the ICE facilities forced hysterectomies on the women who were being held there, and this facility was in Georgia. There was also an accusation of gross medical neglect. There were incompetent translators or no translators present who could accurately depict to the women being held there what was going to happen to them, or who could accurately and thoroughly tell the women what their options were. And also there were accusations that the medical professionals who were performing those specific procedures were being misleading over being pushy and forceful when the women were unsure of how they should go about their care. And that's a big no-no. You were supposed to be given the options clearly and thoroughly and transparently. There, if you don't have transparency in this sort of profession, it, it defeats the purpose where they have control over their bodies and over what goes in their bodies. This is very alarming for a lot of reasons because historically BIPOC have been mistreated in America and not only have been neglected by the medical system, by the healthcare system, but also targeted intentionally in order to completely annihilate races or completely annihilate communities and civilizations. And this is something that America has done historically. So this this is not news, you know, in terms of the historical context, it's not news. But the fact that something like this could fly so under the radar for so long for a lot of people is really alarming. And so that's why there's kind of been this big buzz around it. Plus, ICE has been known and has been outed for unethical practices so this is just the icing on the poop cake <laughs> to be quite honest because it's really hard to trust public especially now to trust public servants so this is another mirror into what systemically hasn't been serving us and has been harming certain communities and so that's why it's been getting a lot of attention so that being said i think this highlights a larger issue of why BIPOC have harbored this distrust for the American healthcare system. It makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, if you look historically, first of all, James Marion Sims, I think it's Marion, I don't know, 
but the but the person who's credited as being the father of gynecologist, a slaveholder himself, performed surgeries on enslaved black women for his research. One young woman, Enarca, I think is how you pronounce her name, was performed on over 30 times without anesthesia. And his reasoning for this was that black people didn't feel pain. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Margaret Sander, who opened the first birth control clinic in America, participated in eugenics, which played an active role in trying to annihilate certain un- fit races. Cute! Also, another thing to note, and this is very synonymous to what was going on a few months ago with COVID when people were trying to give vaccine tests to Africans to test the vaccine. Here's why this is connected. If you don't know about the Puerto Rico trials, there were a series of experiments that were involving a birth control pill that took place in Puerto Rico in the 1950s. And so these pills were dispersed to Puerto Ricans and these Puerto Ricans were not informed that this was a test, that this was a clinical trial. They thought this thing had been proven to work and so they were using these pills. And over the course of the trial, 26 women developed blood clots and six women died as a result. And this was all because they were not being given transparency. And that's the whole thing. This is why, this is why BIPOC, Black and Indigenous People of Color, don't trust the healthcare system because it has been proven to, dis whether directly or indirectly, destroy communities and disenfranchise them and cause long-lasting, life-threatening harm. And let's talk about the serialization of Indigenous women, right? That's, an, that's a thing that we did too. America did this. So if you're one of those people who's like, oh, there's no way America could do something like this. Like, there's no way we could target certain groups and, and care so little about other people's lives. We did it. <laughs> we have the receipts to prove it, honey. So if you're one of those people, I'm sorry to burst your beautiful, delicate bubble. But yeah, we did this. There are the statistics that are still standing today. Like a black woman is 71% more likely than her white counterpart to die in childbirth. A black woman is 71% more likely than a white woman to die from cervical cancer. And something even more alarming, and I didn't even know the statistic was this high, but a black woman is 243% more likely to die in pregnancy or childbirth than her white counterpart. 243% wild. And why is that? It's so crazy because I, I watched this YouTuber and um, this content creator who goes by the name of Four Harriet on her platform. And she recently hosted a panel with gynecologists, doulas, midwives, and other um, healthcare professionals who concentrate on women and, and black women and equity within the field. And it's, it's, it's really interesting to me because I was never really introduced to, to that degree um, of the things that were accessible to me as a woman. I, I didn't know that black women had doulas or midwives, to be quite honest. I thought that midwives and doulas were for which white women? <laughs> for women who were sitting pretty in their mansions and who were jet setters or who were sitting comfortably. Like, I, I really just did not think at all this was something that would be accessible. And um, there's this wonderful organization that supplies free doulas and free midwives for women of color. And I'll have to leave the link in the description, but it's amazing. And 
it's a nonprofit, and so any donations that they get are specifically are, are for the doulas and for the midwives um, that work with the organization. So you know, as compensation for their work, and I just, I just, I just find it so daunting that we are afforded so little, black women, that we think that we like at times we don't think we're worthy of the simple comforts like like being taken care of during a pregnancy pregnancy or or knowing exactly what surgeries we're undergoing or knowing knowing exactly what complications we, sh we should expect to see with taking certain medications some of us don't even ask those kinds of questions because we don't think that we have the right but we do and so i just i want to i want to verbally affirm any black woman out there um who is oh god who if you're going through pregnancy right now or you foresee having children in the future i highly recommend um you should see your gynecologist once a year if you don't have a gynecologist or you don't know where to find one ask around people know people right especially your fellow black friends your black female friends um you know i i have a friend who recommended a gynecologist to me and i i had never even gone looking yet so it, it's not as hard as we think it is to find one who's right for us um, if we just use our networks and ask around um take your vitamins all that good stuff we just we really have to take care of ourselves especially being cognizant of of the specific stressors that impact a black woman's pregnancy and the health of that pregnancy and of that baby there are just there are so many factors so i just i would just recommend and encourage us to be diligent about that and about our health in that regard if that's something that we want if you want to do some reading on reproductive racism i recommend i'm going to read this because it's a really long title medical apartheid the history of medical experimentation on black americans from colonial times to the present and this is by harriet a washington i also recommend Policing the Womb, Invisible Woman and the Criminalization of Motherhood by Michelle Goodwin. So I'm going to leave the links to those below. Now talking about general wellness, I thought it'd be fitting to talk about therapy and mental health professionals and linked to reproductive health, why it's so hard for BIPOC to trust them. And if you are a black or indigenous person of color, what steps you should take to go about interacting with the healthcare system in that regard, what things you can do to protect yourself, to make sure that you're receiving the proper care, to make sure that you are receiving transparency from the other end. So I'm going to throw a few letters and numbers at you that you may or may not be familiar with. DSM-5. So the DSM-5 is like a giant manual of all the mental illnesses and personality disorders in the world. And it's kind of like an encyclopedia. And so in the DSM-5, there are things like bipolar disorder, um, obsessive compulsive disorder, um, narcissistic personality disorder, and many other things that are studied by psychologists and psychiatrists. And these medical professionals use this manual to diagnose their patients, to go about therapy with their patients, with their clients, and to basically help people who have these mental illnesses or personality disorders cope. And so the interesting thing about the DSM-5, it is, it is almost entirely from a white man's lens. So there are a lot of holes. And one of those holes is with black women in general. For example, there are not a lot of statistics in general about bipolar disorder just among women. 
and just in general. But there also aren't a lot of statistics about black bipolar women. And even as, as it pertains to autism, there literally is not criteria to diagnose autism in women. All of the characteristics that are listed are based on male behaviors and, and behaviors that are from a male lens. So if you look in the DSM-5, you'll see things like, oh, the, the characteristics or symptoms, quote, quote, of autism are playing with trains or, you know, having an obsession with blocks or, you know, having an obsession with science. Well, here's the thing. There are plenty of women and men who are not obsessed with science, who are obsessed with the arts and music, and who don't play with trains, but who play with dolls and, and other things, or rather when they were younger. And a lot of them are on the spectrum. So it's almost like this outdated version that doesn't necessarily apply. And so that makes things complicated. <laughs> it makes it hard to, first of all, get diagnosed. And even if you, if you if you are someone who fits into these categories as a person of color, it is hard to get the resources to get a diagnosis. So you might not have the money. You might not have the right therapist for the job. You might have a therapist who's like, mm, nah, you you don't you're not on the spectrum, or no, you're not bipolar, or you're just sad. Like here, here's the thing too: is therapists are people. You know, they're, they're still people. They still have their own biases. And we forget that. We forget that therapists aren't perfect. Um, I'll get to that later. Let me just talk about the DSM-5 real quick. So this makes it really difficult to get a diagnosis. And it makes it really difficult to, to, to feel validated in whatever your situation is. So that being said, I still go to therapy because <laughs> I need it. Um, and my therapist is great. And I had two requirements when I was looking for a therapist. And one of them was someone needed who needed to be trauma-informed. And the other one was black, black, black. It is totally understandable if you want a therapist who's like you. Not every therapist is going to be for you. Sometimes you have to switch and see who's the right fit. And if you're a BIPOC, it might be more difficult to get a diagnosis. And it might be hard to really click with someone and get them to understand you and to feel comfortable even, especially if it's your first therapy session and your first therapist. So don't sweat it. Sometimes it takes a little adjusting. So now I'm going to talk about things to ask your therapist in order to make sure if they're the right fit for you. So you can ask, can you recap what we talked about? What will my treatment plan look like? Have you ever had a patient with said diagnosis? ever had a black patient with said diagnosis? Have you ever, ever had a Latinx patient with said diagnosis? What kind of therapy do you offer? What kind of tactics do you employ? Do you do cognitive behavioral therapy? How will I know that we're a good fit? It's okay to ask your therapist that. And it is also okay to, I won't say check your therapist, but if your therapist is not answering your questions, avoiding certain questions, if it feels like your therapist is gaslighting you. And like like I said, therapists are human. And so they have biases too. They're people too with their own set of issues. It is okay to ask therapists questions like this. And it's also okay to make the decision, maybe I need to switch or maybe I need to try something different or maybe I need to be more specific about the kind of care that I'm looking for. I think it's important that we acknowledge that medical professionals aren't gods. They're not. And I think that's become very clear through time and 
history. So I think it's a balance, right? Yes, there's a healthy skepticism that needs to be there if you're BIPOC. And I won't say skepticism, but I'll say you should feel comfortable advocating for yourself when dealing with a medical professional. But at the same time, therapy is so good for you. <laughs> I can't say it enough. Therapy is good for you. It's important to have a an objective party there. It's important to have someone else's perspective or even to hear your thoughts bounce off the walls because sometimes you don't know what you need until you say it out loud or until you ask the question out loud or until you admit certain things to yourself. So therapy, therapy, therapy. Love it, love it, love it. So that's all I have for you today. If you like this episode, please like. If you like this channel and this podcast, please subscribe. Follow my social media accounts. I have an Instagram. I have a Twitter. I also have a blog. And you can find other fun links there. Thank you for joining me. Stay curious. Stay well. And and do your research. And advocate for yourself. I hated that too. Yeah. Yeah. Do-do-do-do. Also, check the Friday Faves on the blog or on the Instagram if you want to hear some of my favorites from this past week. One of my favorites has been this podcast called Nice White Parents. It was brought to my attention by a friend who I work with, and it's about the education system and the inequalities within it and the people who hold the most power in the American educational system, i.e. white parents. So... If you're interested in that, if you're an educator, if you're not an educator, but you have a curious mind, mosey on over to that podcast. And also subscribe to this one, you know. I see y'all who are listening to these episodes and aren't subscribing. I see you. You are visible. Thank you for listening, though. Bye. Mwah.